Good to have you all here. When I was in the business world, this time of year it meant inventory time. And I never looked forward to that because we had so many items and we had to count each one individually. But as we look back over, uh, uh, by the way, uh, one of the good things about inventory, uh, we learned what, what was selling and what wasn't. And, but it's good to look back over our lives of 1965 and just see how the Lord would have marked, graded us. I get my medicine from um, Optimarx, and when I phone in, uh, we have the conversation, the order, and so forth. And then after the conversation, uh, there's a, a voice that says, survey. And so they asked me questions about how I was taken care of and whether I was satisfied or not. And uh, they would uh, say, uh, on a, rate, a score of 1 to 10, a rate of 1 to 10, how would you mark how you were taken care of? I'd like to apply that spiritually. On a scale of 1 to 10, I would like to ask you in the marital relationship, how have you, how do you think the Lord would have graded the way you conducted yourself as a husband or as a wife? Secondly, how would the Lord grade you as far as parenting your children? What kind of mark would he have given to you? 10 being the highest, one being the lowest. And thirdly, children, they're downstairs, but how would the Lord mark you as far as obeying your parents? Then fourthly, how, did you, how would the Lord mark you for the way you treated the Lord's day? The time you came here would come, uh, the spirit of worship. How would the Lord mark you? What kind of mark would he give to you? And then not only that, but how will you work? How would the Lord mark you for the way you uh, conducted your work as uh, under your employer? And then, how would you? How would the Lord mark you, the way you represented Him in giving out the gospel in 2023? These are some questions that I think it's good for us to answer because, you see, we all have a divine appointment. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, 11 tells us that we're all going to stand before the Lord in judgment seat and give an account of our labor for him, good or bad. And so that's the reason today I'd like to speak to you about divine instruction for 2024. And our text is going to be found in Psalm, no, Mark chapter 8. And uh, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but I'd just like to give a little bit of what preceded uh, where I'm going to speak on. The first nine verses, our Lord uh, took uh, seven fishes and a few loaves, I mean seven loaves and a few fishes, and fed 4,000, just the men. Then in the next uh, few verses, 10 to 13, we have the Pharisees demanding a sign. They were the, uh, yeah, they were the hound dogs of Satan, and they were always at him. They wanted to a sign from heaven to prove his messiahship. Then the third, uh, the Lord just said to his uh, disciples, he said, uh, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And all they could think of was bread. But what he's talking about was 
In other words, he chided them for their lack of spiritual understanding. What the Lord was saying, beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees. And then the fourth one, the next few verses right before our text, we find the Lord healing a blind man, but in stages, in, in, in steps. That's the only time he hired anybody, uh, healed anybody where he did it by steps. And what was a spiritual thought here? That's the way he takes the blindness away from us spiritually, not all at once, but by, by degree, he takes it away where we can see more clearly the, 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 the scripture that he wants us to understand. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to start reading at verse 27, and I want you to pay a close attention before we get to our text, because this is the background for what our Lord's going to say in verse 34 to 38. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the tower, town's accessory of Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others, and one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and said unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Now our text. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes to the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let us pray. Almighty, eternal God, speak to us this morning through your word, through the ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, through this old sinner saved by grace. We need to hear divine instruction from the Lord as we face the new year. For Jesus' sake and for your glory, we pray this mercy. Amen. The first thing I'd like to talk to you this morning about is the self-life, death to the self-life. 
First, he, he took notice in the, our text. He says, <clears throat> he's, calling, he, he's calling out the people. And I'd like to just speak a little bit about the calling of the crowd. That's what he's doing here. He's calling, uh, uh, he's calling people to himself. He, wants, he has something important to say to them. You see, this picture here is a picture of his call to the whole world, expressed so well in Proverbs 1, 20 and 21, where we have a personification uh, of Jesus Christ as wisdom. You know, it says, <clears throat> um, wisdom cries out in the streets, in the busy streets, in the markets, in the gates of the city. And what we find is in Psalm 53, 2 and 3, we find that uh, these words, the Lord looked down from heaven to see if there were any did understand, but there's none. There's none that sought God. They all became filthy without understanding. Once he comes down to himself and he calls people to himself. The words of the hymn express it so well. Jesus calls us o'er the tumult of life's wild, restless sea. Day by day, his sweet voice sounds saying, Christian, follow me. Jesus calls us from the worship of the vain world's golden store, from each idol that would keep us saying, Christian, love me more. That's what he's calling the disciples and the, uh, uh, his, his, uh, his disciples and the crowd together. He wants to speak to them. What amazing grace that he came down here to call people to himself. He didn't, he didn't just send his disciples. He came down himself to call people to himself. To come after him is to believe in him. In John 6, 35, it says, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall not hunger, but he and he who cometh to me shall never thirst. John uh, 7, 37, 38, the, the, the feast of the tabernacles, the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out and saying, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me. He that believeth on me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall river, flow rivers of living water. The first thing I want to talk about is self-denial. Self-denial, it's mandatory to put away, to disown, to refuse one's own self in the totality of one's person. When did the first example of self show its ugly face? Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. In Genesis chapter 3, 6, Eve, she saw the tree, forbidden tree of knowledge of good and evil, that the, it was pleasant to look upon. It was good to eat. But then she remembered the slander and lie of Satan, and she said, and when remember these words, you'll be wise to make, to make one wise. And self entered the ugly picture, and we've been suffering from the ugliness of self ever since. You know, I like to talk about acrostics. There's the acrostic of grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus. Jesus exactly satisfies us sinners. Faith, forsaking all, trust him. I'd like to give you a new, a new acrostic. Self. Self. Exceedingly loveth folly. Let me repeat that. Self exceedingly loveth folly. And what is folly? Folly is stupid. It's foolish. It's out of one's mind. 
what are the objects that necessitate self-denial? One is appetite. Proverbs 23, 2, if you're a man given to appetite, uh, put a knife to your throat to stop it, uh, eating and gorging yourself. But it also refers to the demands of one's body, one's physical system, the lust, passion, craving, desire, fame, desire for fame. Luke 12, 22 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat, for what you shall wear. Life is more than just meat and body more than raiment. 1 Corinthians 9.27, the apostle Paul understood that. He said, I discipline my body and bring it under control. And he did whatever he needed to do to bring it under control. Secondly, sinful pleasures. Sinful pleasures that excite the flesh. Sensual desires, delight, lust. Hebrews 11.25 puts it well. When he said, uh, 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 Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But he chose rather to suffer the affliction of, uh, of, uh, of his people for a season rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I'm afraid the world has come into the church big time because we get excited by the things that the world has to offer and its passions and its desires. And we can sin now without feeling any guilt about it. People, people who profess Jesus Christ can lie as easy as it is to breathe. And people can sin just as easy as it is to get up in the morning. Second, I'd like to talk about 2 Timothy 3.4. The Apostle Paul, uh, re, Apostle Paul reading, uh, excuse me, writing in 2 Timothy, the last days, he was referring to the time we're now living in. He said, people, uh, people of God will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers, people, I'm sorry. People who profess to be Christians will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And then worldly ambition. Right after the flood, Genesis 11, 4, what did they do? God says, scatter. They said, no, we want to stay together. They built a city and a tower that goes up to heaven. That's what they wanted. And then you know what came about? The, the, the Tower of Babel what came crashing down. But I, I just want to show you the nature of uh, ambition, worldly ambition. The mother of the Zebedee's children, she came to Jesus one time. She said, Lord... She says, I, want, I would like you to put my sons, one on the left hand and one on the right hand, when you come to your kingdom. And then, and this really touches my heart, Luke twenty-two twenty-four. 24. The night before he betrayed, his disciples are arguing, who's going to be the greatest? Think of that. On the night before he's betrayed, who's going to be the greatest? That's what they're arguing. And how did Jesus, how did he, how, what did he say to them? Did he castigate them? No. He said, brethren, who's the greatest? One that sits at the table or one who does the serving? He said, the one that sits at the table. He said, you're right. And I am one among you who serves. Oh, how can you help but love him for the spirit like that? 
That's the spirit of our Lord in his humanity. A Bonar said, who wrote many hymns, said, selfishness is the diseased, is the, excuse me, selfishness is diseased self-love. What God means for good, self dries it up and so evident in this sex-crazed world we live in. What separates man from God? Self. What keeps people from coming to Christ? Self. So when Christ says, deny yourself, he has your best interest in mind. He wants to replace it with something. He wants to replace it with himself. And when you have Christ, you have everything. Everything. The water glass of our Lord's life was completely empty of self. G. Campbell Morgan said these words, to deny, to deny self is to make room for God. To take up the cross now. That's what it says here in our text. Who Take up his cross. Well, the Romans instituted the execution of, uh, of a crucifixion. The criminal had to carry the cross to his place of execution. And that's the same thing that happened to our Lord. He had to carry the cross to the place of the skull called Golgotha. That's what it said in John 19, 17. Christ bearing his cross went forth to the place which in the Hebrew is called Golgotha. What does it mean for the believer to take up his cross? Listen to the words of our Lord Jesus in Matthew 28, 30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now notice these next words. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is that take up your cross? Take up my yoke. Come under my authority. In the most simple language, there are these. Uh, uh, to take up the cross are the trials of believers' faith. So when trials and afflictions come, and they will, accept them as in the providence of God according to his eternal purpose for that trial. What is that purpose? To conform us to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered for our sins on the cross on top of Mount Calvary. Spirosodialis, who was one of the great Expositor of the Greek language said that affliction endured by the righteous as a trial of, them, of their faith is to conform them to the example of their crucified master. Galatians 5:24. And they that are crucified, excuse me, and they that are crucified, <clears throat> and they that are crucified have crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. Forgive this old man that stutters at time, but wait till you get to be 94. But those follow me. These words in the Greek implies to move quickly to accompany on abiding fellowship requires what Barnabas said to new believers in Antioch. He said, with purpose of heart, cleave to the Lord. And to cleave to the Lord, it's to trust him to be in obedience in a fellowship, a fellowship of faith and a fellowship of life. Where the Lord Jesus said to follow him, which he, he spoke 17 times, follow me. Don't accept me. Follow me. 
Boy, what a difference of evangelism today. It's accept Jesus as your Savior and you're saved. He said, follow me. That's the evidence that we're saved. 1 Peter 1, um, 1.22 says this. For hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Not in them, but we should follow his steps. And Luke 9, 62, someone, uh, uh, the Lord said to uh, someone, follow me. And the man said, okay, I'll follow you, but first I want to go uh, 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 bury my father. He said, let the dead bury the dead. Come and follow me. Another, uh, another uh, he said to another person, uh, he said to another person, follow me. And the person said, yeah, okay, okay, but I want to go say farewell to my family. He said, he that put his hand to the pile and, and, and turneth back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Secondly, embrace the spirit of sacrifice. 35, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Satan knows men very well. In Job 2.4, you remember after uh, uh, Satan challenged God that the only reason Satan, the only reason that Job is faithful to you is because you give him everything. He said, take it away and he'll curse you. And God, the Lord said, okay, go ahead, take it away. And Satan took it away, but the Lord in the second count said, he, regardless of what you've done, he still holds to my integrity. And Satan fired back with these words. Skin for skin, all the man has he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. Self-preservation is natural. I can remember when I first came into the ministry, not the ministry of the pastorate, but with the ministry of Children's Bible Fellowship was a ministry. I was in Kingsbridge, a section of the Bronx. And I was in there on some duty for Children's Bible Fellowship. I don't know. And I was on the street, uh, on the sidewalk, giving out tracts. And somebody came up to me and said, with a very menacing look and with a tone that spoke hatred, he said, don't you ever come back to this street again. And for the first time, I had to confess, there was a little bit of fear came into me. I went across the street and went into rest. I thought about what I just heard. But praise God, I never felt fear again. But I'm only mentioning that illustration because it's self-preservation is natural. It's, and, but death is inevitable. Uh, See, the natural attitude toward life, this life is to hold on to it as long as we can. Why people take uh, vitamins, why they take uh, uh, medicine, why they go to the doctors. But in the text, verse 35, uh, the Lord expresses a paradox. What is a paradox? Now, notice the paradox. He's, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel of the same shall save it. What is a paradox? Well, it's a statement or doctrine like this verse teaches or an expression that is seemingly absurd or contradictory to common notions or what should naturally be believed. But in fact, it's really true. The language the Lord is using is spiritual. For this life <clears throat> does indeed end at the grave, 
But this life goes beyond the grave. For in this life, it's being shaped for eternity, either heaven or hell, which is implied in, the, in, in, in this, which, which we call a paradox. If your life is governed by that which is pleasing the flesh, a self-centered light which finds its purpose in the things that will eventually pass away, you're not enjoying the gift of eternal life now. I, but if we're willing to lose everything for Jesus' sake, then we have that confidence. Oh, you're looking at an old, old man, and the more I, I cannot tell you how much I've learned to love him and how much I love to serve him. Even as poor as it is, I love him, and I want to serve him with all my heart and soul and strength. And that's a purpose for trials. That's why the Lord said in John 12, 25, he that loveth, his life shall lose it, but he that hateth his life <coughs> uh, shall keep it unto. What does it mean to hate our life? What does it mean to hate our own life? It means to love it less, to detest it. Why? Because there's sin still dwelling in us. That's why we hate our lives, because we look forward to the day when we shall be like Jesus. No more sin dwelling in us. Throughout the Bible, there's testimony after testimony that saw this life expendable for the Lord's sake and the gospel. 1 Samuel 14, 6. Jonathan, the, 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 the son of King Saul, he and his armor bearer saw a garrison of Philistines. And would you believe that they had the courage to go up there and challenge him single-handedly? And look what he said. There is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And the Lord gave him a great victory. Just, the, the, uh, just Jonathan and his armor bearer. How about David, a teenager, facing a, a nine foot nine a giant. And he just has a slingshot. And look what he says. He said, you have a sword and a spirit and a shield. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. And the Lord gave him victory. What about Daniel? What about those three Hebrew lads? When the, uh, Nebuchadnezzar he built a, a, a statue 90 feet high, golden statue 90 feet high, and he set a time for everybody to come and worship and bow down on that statue. Well, these three Hebrew, Hebrew lads wouldn't do it. And so and Nebuchadnezzar had a special time with him. And he really threatened him, you better listen to me. Look what they said to him. King Nebuchadnezzar, our God, my God, is able to deliver us. But if not, know this, we will not worship your gods and we will not bow down to your golden image. How about Stephen. In Acts chapter 7, he said, you uncircumcised in heart, you have persecuted the prophets and those who testify the just ones, you have killed. And now you are the betrayers and murderers of this one. And then he said this, and this is sealed his doom. He says, saw the heavens open. He said, I see Jesus at the right hand of God. That was too much for them. And they stoned him. But what did he say as he was dying? He said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. He 
The Apostle Paul, Acts 20, 24 says, he was warned about what lay ahead for him at Jerusalem. He said, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear to myself, but that I might finish my course with joy and that which I have received the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. How about the early Christians, uh, Peter and John? They said, they were threatened by the same, stop teaching Jesus. And they said, before God, you have to decide whether it's right to obey God or to obey you. But we cannot refrain from speaking and telling you what we have seen and heard. And then they were beaten badly, and they left, and they rejoiced because they were found worthy to suffer for the honor of Jesus Christ. How about Jim Elliot? When he said, a man is no fool who loses what he cannot keep to keep what he cannot lose. What about those 21 Coptic Christians? I gave this testimony before of Libya. They would not renounce Jesus Christ. They would not because of Islamic hatred. And before each one was beheaded, they said, Jesus is Lord. In other words, what they're declaring to their executioner, Jesus is sovereign over what you're doing. Absent from the body, present with the, uh, the Lord, we can be rejoicing, be victorious and, and as life unfolds. I'd like to share your personal testimony, but I, I don't have time. I just got Matthew 5, 11, 12. When people revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted the prophets who were before you. But then this next verse, Matthew 16, 22. Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. And my dear, dear Daisy, every time we come to that verse, we'd say we want to endure to the end. I can remember all that dear girl. I praise her name. I mean, pray, I, pardon me. <laughs> praise God. That's what happens when you get excited. <laughs> we, uh, verse 3, uh, verse uh, 37, 36, 37. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And I call this the proper attitude toward the world. This is referring back to what our Lord spoke in verse 35. He who would save his life shall lose it. In verse 36, it refers to lucre or money. But what is it meant by the world? The sum total of this material increase and its orderly arrangement, adornment, and beauty. What is it meant by the soul? Suke, that's a Greek word. In Genesis 2, 7, it says, And the Lord formed man out of the dust of the earth. He breathed into his air the breath of life, and he became a living soul. Excuse me. But that same, excuse me, dear ones. You see, a living being is the soul, it's the divine principle of life in man as relating to his maker, it's his intellect. It's his mental, mental prowess. It's, uh, it's uh, his sensibilities, his emotions, his will. It's what distinguishes one man from another. 
of our Lord said in John 12, 27, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Psalm 1610, 16, another referring to our Lord Jesus says, Thou will not leave my soul in hell, or thou will not leave my Holy One see corruption. Here the Lord appeals to one's logic to weigh in the balance the value of the world that is so attractive and the value of one's eternal soul. What good is all that wealth and pleasure of every kind that delights and excites the flesh of one's soul and then not be able to use it or enjoy it? Lose, to, re to receive damage, to injure, to experience detriment, to be cast away. In verse 37, the world exchange is the thought of to barter. What could you give to get your soul back, which the Lord considers more valuable than the world that was gained? And I thought, what can I say to make them understand this? What can I say in my message that will help you to understand this? And then this came to my mind. Picture a man that loves the lottery. And so what he does, he just, he just loves it. Even though he don't win, he just loves it. He spends money after money after money. And, then, and, and he, he, neglects his, he neglects his body. He puts it in the lottery. And then one day, one day he wins it. $500 million. But horror of horrors, he can't enjoy it. Why? Because he has pancreatic cancer. And not only that, he can't use that money to get his soul back. That's basically what it's saying. We foolishly allow the world to govern us, to motivate us. Oh, if we could only see the examples of the world and the this destruction to our own soul. I would like to just expand this text a little bit more on what it affects the church. In 1 Corinthians 7.31, and they that use this world, same word as in our text, as not abusing it, for the fast of this world passeth away. The goods of the world, the goods of this world are needed to live. You need the goods, the home, a car, money earned from our labor. But we use of the world to be, what we use of the world is to meet our needs and to advance the kingdom of God. That's the mindset of those who are part of the kingdom of God. What we have belongs to the Lord. We are stewards of all that he's given to us. I can prove that. 1 Corinthians 19 and 6, 19 and 30. What? Don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have of God, and you're not your own? Notice, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. There's no question. But what has been a blight upon the church has always been the world coming into the church, which the Apostle John warned about in 1 John 15 and 17. He says, love not the world, neither the things of the world. For the... For the for God does not love the world. For all that's in the world, no, that's not it at all. Love not the world, neither the things of the world. For he that loveth the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, 
is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of the Father abideth forever. And then in James chapter 4, he, what you adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, he that would be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Pride of Diotrephes, he wouldn't have, had, he wouldn't have the preeminence. Demas, he loved the present world. In our day, the world is coming in our church big time. The world, as it, is, it affects the preaching and teaching of God's holy word. The naked truth of the gospel being dimmed. 68% of Americans profess to be Christians, and only 6% of them believe in a biblical worldview, which is to acknowledge the authority of the word of God. I fear that even when there is the, the gospel being preached like it is in the Bible, I fear that it's stored away as head information and not heart information. There's a big difference. When the heart is changed, the evidence is so revealing. Attitude about worship is changed, about giving is changed, attitude about serving is changed, for there is joy in serving the King of kings and Lord of lords. Evidence we belong to Christ. Let me read it. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of being of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Notice those two things go together. Whosoever shall therefore be ashamed of me and of my words, they go together. You can't separate them. These things we... Romans 6 21 says what we're to be ashamed of we're to be ashamed of our sin and what we are ashamed of was laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ in Psalm 69 a messianic psalm in verse 7 he has put to shame verse 19 he suffered reproach and disgrace and in this psalm is revealed his inner suffering listen to these words in verse 20 this is speaking about our Lord Jesus Reproach hath broken my heart. I am full of heaviness, and I look for some to take pity, and there was none, and for comforter, but I found none. From this crowd that hated him so much, then Hebrews 12, 2, he endured the cross, despised the shame. See him naked upon that cross, bloody from head to foot, face marred more than any man. His Back laid open from scourging, a crown of thorns piercing his head, then mocked, cursed, reviled at the hands of men. So much physical suffering, and then those three hours of darkness, and infinite suffering for our sins, eternal judgment in our place. Colossians 2, 14, for all that was against us was nailed to his cross. Colossians 1, 20, he made peace through the blood of his cross. And when he conquered death and rose from the dead, proving our sin debt was paid in full, the earth, orga, the earth quaked at such a... But when he rose from the dead, the earth quaked again in victory. The Lord is not ashamed to... Listen to this. The Lord is not ashamed to call those... Look, listen to this. Hebrew 2.11. For he that sanctifieth and he that are sanctified are all of one, and he is not ashamed to call us brethren.
No wonder our Lord says in this text, if any man be ashamed of me and my words. As I said, they both go together. When you look back in this past year, how many times have you had the opportunity to share your faith and, and give out the blessed gospel and have let it pass by without responding to the open door the Lord gave to you? So Proverbs 24.10, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small to rescue those who are being taken away to death, to hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weigheth the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay every man according to his work? That's talking about not physical death, it's talking about spiritual there are so many ways to share this blessed gospel, dear ones. I, I don't have time, but oh, I would love to tell you the joy I have, this old sinner saved by grace, going out and meeting people wherever they are. And I'd love to say this. Greet them with a friendly greeting and then say, ma'am, sir, can I give you this little message about my Lord Jesus? It's amazing how many receive it. That's joy. That's joy. And especially when they come back for more. I'm going to ask you this question. When the Lord says, I'll be ashamed of you, what does he mean? I never knew you. I never knew you. Now I'm going to share a testimony. It's incredible. I just got it from Voice of Martyrs. Listen to this. Lai Peo of the Hmong people in Southeast Asia. In the early years, in the mil- he, was, he was in the military uh, for a while. And then, uh, excuse me. He was from a tribe of the Hmong people in Southeast Asia. He was part of the military for a number of years. And then when he was converted, he led eight families to Christ. He regularly held worship services. And for this, he was imprisoned for five months. He was repeatedly beaten until unconscious. Daniel 12, 3 was his great motivation. He wanted to be a shining star for Christ because it says, <clears throat> and that uh, those who turn many uh, to righteousness shall shine the stars forever. And that was his motivation. He wanted to shine for Jesus. After his release, he led seven more families to Christ. Then to escape the hostile environment, he and his family moved to another village where he led 11 families to the Lord and established a church. He was arrested again, imprisoned, and this time for two years. He was again repeatedly beaten till unconscious, suffered broken bones, tortured with an electric cattle prod. And while in prison, his family... While in prison, his family moved to another village. After he was released from prison, he joined with his family in that new location. After leading three families to the Lord, he was arrested a third time, was handcuffed to a chair and beaten severely. And no matter what you do to me, he says, you will not stop me from sharing the gospel that they may too receive salvation. I do not fear death, he said. He was locked in a jail cell and forced to sleep naked on a cold country floor, concrete floor with no blanket. He was beaten in the face and knocked out several of his teeth, was kicked in the head while on the floor, and listened to the cold indictment of the police officer. This is what we do to people who oppose the, who oppose the government. After this, he was so bold as to wear a necklace with a cross. He was ordered to remove it. And when he refused, he was beaten about the head. He was ordered to remove his clothes and bow down to the police officer. And listen to his response. I will not bow down to any man. I will bow down and kneel only before my Lord. Only he deserves praise and worship. 
Two weeks later, he was released and returned to his family battered and bruised. For 10 years, he had been free from imprisonment, and at 75, he continues to proclaim the gospel. Since 2011, Brother Peo has planted 12 churches. The smallest has 40 families, and the largest has 100 families. By now, he can't hear too well, and his speech is not clear. His health is not good, but he still has a heart to share Christ with people who need the Lord. Having suffered greatly for his Christian work in the past, he has no fear of further persecution. He said, I am not afraid because I have God with me, and I pray to God, Lord, let me die serving you. Application. I'm going a few minutes over. Romans 12.1. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service of worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And what is the good and perfect will of God? To follow Jesus, like it says in 1 Peter 2.21. Then, in Hebrew 12, 2, let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame that set down the right hand of the throne of God. We're to be looking on to him, and we look on to him, 2 Corinthians 4, 16, 18, when the, though our outward man perish, yet our inner man is renewed day by day. And though our light affliction is but for a moment, yet it's working in us a far more eternal weight of glory. Now notice, well, we look, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I have to admit, I was talking to you like a machine gun, but I had a lot to say, and so you forgive me. But I began with acrostic, and I'd like to give you a close with another acrostic. Three. I want you to put this, uh, there may be some here that do not know the Lord. And to that person, I would say this, this acrostic, Jimdo, Jane Doe, exceedingly loveth Judgment. For if you know that you need the Lord and you don't come, you're as much as saying, I love judgment. Secondly, you know the Lord has saved you, but you don't want to go out of your comfort zone. Come see, come sigh. When it's convenient, I'll, yeah, I'll serve when it's convenient. This is my acrostic. Jim Doe, Jane Doe, exceedingly loveth spiritual mediocrity. Fourthly, and I hope this is true with each one of us, Jim Doe, Jane Doe, Paul G. Fry, exceedingly loveth Jesus Christ. Exceedingly. If you love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, four times we're to love him in the Bible. We're to love him with all our soul, our heart, soul, and strength. Dear ones, you'll be a spiritual dynamo. What, you know what will be your top priority? Worship. And you'll want to get here in time. You want to get here to meet with the brethren and prepare your heart for the worship as it unfolds. 
and you'll be ready to give out the gospel wherever you have opportunity. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. I know you're living at a living, you're looking at a living testimony. Because the more you love him, the more you know his presence. And when you know his presence, nothing else matters. I leave you with this little motto. It was on the farmhouse when I was a little boy. Some of you heard this before. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that will only be possible if we follow the divine instruction of this verse. Almighty, eternal God, have your way in each one of us here this day, the last day of 2023, but may catapult us into 2024 with desire to love thee, to serve thee, to glorify thee, and to look forward to being with you forever and ever. To God be the glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen.